I was trying to write songs with just like on a different level where I was not thinking so much about experimenting or pushing it forward in terms of newness, but in terms of just writing something that was really authentic and felt honest to me and, and trying to get back to my roots with music, which was just growing up in upstate New York and like playing guitar. And um, I felt like I'd kind of traveled pretty far from that in my last two records and I wanted to rein it in. And the product just happened to yeah. be this. Uh, what does authenticity mean in this respect? Especially because you're dealing with like soul music, right? So it's kind of a tricky word. For me, it was like a certain honesty in, in the lyrics, which has always mm. been there, but also not concerning myself with what was hip or cool production wise and just really going for what I liked that might not be so inventive, which is things that I've tried in the past. Like yeah. I've been concerned with in music, not pushing things forward on a production level. The set of interviews that I was reading mm-hmm. to help prep for this were the ones around the last record. Right. And there was really this this sense that you had that you were like, okay, well, I was doing the soul thing and maybe maybe this right now is what feels more authentic to me at the time. Yeah. I mean, I think authentic, it's a good question, but I think authenticity is like a ever-changing definition based on where you're at. Just more about where you are at a given point in your life. Yeah. And and specifically with this record, I was like, and mostly out of a confidence thing of my last two records, being a younger singer and artist, always kind of burying my voice in the mix, whether that was like with effects on my first record or just having these monstrous, beautiful like arrangements behind in the second record. Yeah. And this one I was, what felt authentic was to actually have my voice be a bit more direct and capable of being heard. I wonder what takes more confidence. In some ways, the second record might have from the standpoint of it just being sort of, you know, really just kind of focused on you Mm -hmm. and a little bit more kind of like bedroom or or confessional, at least from sort of an aesthetic standpoint. But holy shit, like standing up in front of a soul band takes an an entirely different kind of confidence. You know, when I was recording these vocals, I was recording them completely dry, which is something I really fought on my second record, just hearing my voice, I would be like, oh, can you put reverb on it? Can you put this on it? Just just hearing the sound of your own voice back at you, yeah. you couldn't take it. I felt super vulnerable and I yeah. was like, oh, I'm such a perfectionist, not, you know, hearing all the different things in it. And now, with, I, rather when I was recording this record, I wanted to hear everything so I could be based like completely in the, in the reality of the moment and work according from that space. When you're working with somebody like Bon Iver, does that make you more of a perfectionist? Or perhaps you can like lean on him a little bit more and, and sort of trust the decisions he's going to make. Mm-hmm. Um, that was such an interesting experience because it was my first time making a record with anyone in like a studio. And my first record I made with someone I grew up with who I'd known since I was like 12 years old. And we made it in our apartments in Brooklyn. So no expectations. Yeah, no expectations. You know, it was very much like just making yeah. the art of making and having no idea what we were doing. And then the second record I got to make with some of my heroes. So definitely I was not I was really perfectionistic. I was unsure yeah. a lot of going into it. I was super excited, of course. Did you feel like you didn't belong at first? Was it Yeah, you I mean felt out of your element at least? Definitely. I was like, "Well, this is these these people have really, well, they made a lot of art that super moved me and touched me and are super far along the path. So there was definitely a submission of being like, I want to trust what they're telling me and I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm also not a technically trained musician. I would say that came out in that record of being like, I don't know, like, how do I explain myself? And You, know, you just didn't have the vocabulary. Yeah, I didn't have the vocabulary. And of course, at this point, that's not something that ever bothers me or that I feel like is a actual that much of a weakness but 
in that in early phases when I was trying to like figure out how to explain what I was trying to do, I caught myself having a, a lack of language. When you first start, sort of start coming up, you work against that rawness, right? You want to you wanna be the, the smartest person in the room, the most professional, but at a certain point, you kind of miss it, right? There's, there's certain aspects of that that are, that are in, when, when making art, especially when making music, there are certain things about sort of being an outsider or, or being raw, and at least, you know, not being like cynical and jaded mm-hmm. <laughs> that are almost inevitable. Right. <laughs> yeah, so it's really hard with anything to get back to that beginner's mind it's such a a sweet place you trade that in for other things that are equally valuable but the beginner's mind that's a very that's sort of like a very like zen buddhist Mm -hmm. phrase isn't it yeah i don't i mean they always say like get back to the beginner's mind yeah it's one of those concepts that it's like in theory yes of course but in practice like how do you do that how do you do that when it's time to get back in the studio and to sort of start from scratch again? Mm-hmm. I know you have some meditation training. I mean, is that part of getting yourself in that headspace? I think so. Not planning to, but just maybe more of a necessity and timing. And, and maybe subconsciously I was planning to. After both records, I did a 10-day meditation retreat, yeah. silent meditation retreat, which um, felt really grounding like immediately you put the record out in the world and then you're like i'm gonna just get away from the world for a bit (laughs) yeah well the first time it happened was in wisconsin it was was funny i was telling um bj burton who i worked with the bony bear stuff about my meditation practice and he was kind of curious and i was like let me look up where a center is maybe you could do a course wisconsin seems like an odd place right well that's why it's so crazy so the meditation i practice is called vipassana the closest center to New York is in Shelburne, Massachusetts. So I'm looking up and they had just opened like a month before a Vipassana meditation center that was like 20 minutes away from the studio. What's their specialty? It's called insight meditation and it's just like they run these 10-day silent retreats where they teach you how to meditate. But you didn't need to learn how to meditate. No, I'd done them before and it I didn't know how to meditate before I went into one. So he was mixing the record and didn't want to go but I decided to go. Um, <laughs> you started from scratch with the meditation? Well, it's the same 10-day technique because, honestly, it's like every time you meditate, you are sort of a beginner in a lot of ways. Is it like other things? You know, if you went back to fourth grade math, you would probably feel pretty bored and frustrated by it because you've right. already learned those skills. <laughs> yeah, of course. But, like, you would still know that 4 plus 4 equals 8, right? Meditation is different because you might know how to meditate. You you know the technique, but you are showing up as a different version of yourself each time and who will that be today so there's no guarantees that you're going to have the same experience you had the day before even if you put in the same amount of time and I mean I assume you meditate every day at this point I I try to you try yeah. to yeah and you feel like that's the case that that day to day you just feel like an entirely different person I feel like day to day different things show up I can't guarantee that any experience is going to happen when I sit down the only thing I know from experience is that it's going to be helpful but you know some days it's really painful some days it's quite blissful other days i don't want to sit and maybe that's just sort of like part of like being in in the modern world i mean you were discussing the speed of the elevators on the way up here you know sort (laughs) of like kind of being on demand and and i suspect that that's something that a lot of people want when they get into meditation and then ultimately something that proves to be incredibly frustrating to them Mm -hmm. (laughs) you want to achieve nirvana the first time you sit down (laughs) and i'm a very anxious person and Mm -hmm. meditation has been frustrating to me in the past because like I've had moments where I've actually ended up feeling more frustrated mm-hmm. from it you know of just like sitting down and trying to silence and then mm-hmm. the act of like trying to be quiet a lot more stuff comes through that totally 
I think like that's pretty normal. And, yeah. and what happens when you do like a 10 day retreat or consistently do it is that you see that that's kind of, I don't know, like a brain detox. Like that's part mm-hmm. of the process. And then you, sitting through it, you know, maybe the first day you get only like two seconds where you're not thinking, oh, I'm having thoughts or like, but like after a few weeks, that is 10 seconds. And after, you know, all of a sudden you're having these like really blissful minutes of total peace. Brain detox is an interesting way to put it. I mean, is that is that what it felt like after going through all of the sort of stresses of putting a record together and then just sitting down for mm-hmm. a week plus? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times I go in with when I've done these retreats, I've maybe done like five of them in my life. I go in thinking I have a problem. It's like a specific thing or a question I would like an answer to. And by the end of it, I end up having answered a bunch of different ones because there's so many things going on in our mind at any given moment that is clogging the the wheel to right thinking. So you did that on the latest record as well? So I did that on the latest record. Yeah. Right. And again, like it wasn't conscious. I wasn't like, I finished the record. Now I sit. But it was like... It just happened that I signed up for it like five months after I finished the record. And that felt like a very good way to kind of close the production part of it. Do you feel like you're meditating on the music creation process at all? Not really. I think that the meditation is a totally different thing and that doing it helps me when I come out in terms of being able to be more present in the production side. Why do it after and not before? The 10 days are like kind of a grand sweeping of everything and then... I continue to meditate like through that was something that was actually really good about making this last record was I was like so excited. Like I said, when I was making the record with the Bon Iver guys in, um, I guess it was 2013, 2014. And I just lost all my practices. Like I was definitely not meditating or doing anything. And we were kind of like up at all hours in the studio. And But this time when I was in London making my record, I really was intentional about having a daily practice. So it was like going to yoga every day and just doing that super early and, and then going to the studio. And that created a really intentional and I don't know, both ways are good. I think there's something to be said for just really living in the music creation process to such mm-hmm. a point that it's all you can do, that it's all you can think about. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say either. It, they were just different, but both have value. How did that manifest itself in the music? I think some of the confidence I had in my voice on this last record mm. and when I'm talking about doing the vocals and yeah. and being more realistic with them in a way was due to the fact that I was taking really good care of myself and like going to yoga every day and just eating really well and I would go in the studio and be like I'm performing to the best of my ability today so that just created a a positive feedback loop I was in a different place in my life and and that had super amazing value too of just like being completely immersed in the music particularly given the the stark difference between the last two records Mm -hmm. does one of them feel truer to you as a musician I could say that the one I made more recently does but I don't know that's true I mean certainly like you said it's more where you are now it's more where I'm at now it's definitely true to where I am now but I've gone through periods where I've had like really wild inspiration and you know I'll be up to the middle of the night working on stuff and that feels true in that moment because you don't really know when that's going to hit. Do you feel like this is going to be a theme for your career of just taking wildly different choices and making very different aesthetic decisions from album to album? If the last three records are any indication of it, I would say so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe a better way of putting it is you've been doing this for a while, but I mean, yeah. in a sense, three records in, certainly like two records in, you're someone who's maybe both literally and metaphorically trying to find her voice. Mm-hmm. And that's why, at least vocally, this felt like a strong move for me because I was kind of honoring my voice and, and putting it in the front of everything. But 
I don't know. I really try to honor like whatever I'm inspired by in the moment. And it's more like a Zappa approach. <laughs> <laughs> Zappa though, that's like minute to minute with Zappa. <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, it's like that you're talking like 10 musical choices in a song. <laughs> I know, but it's, I saw some documentary about him a few years ago yeah. and they were like talking, he was talking about his fans and how some of his original fans were like, we're the original fans. We've been with you since the beginning. We know your old stuff. It's yeah. like, they're, and he was just like, uh, no, he's like, you guys are missing out. He's yeah. like, I'm going on a journey and like, come with me. I do get the feeling that he was downright like contentious with his fans. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know that Zappa was a big fan of Zappa fans. But... <laughs> yeah, but I, I just think there's something to like kind of honoring whatever your, your situation is yeah. and not necessarily feeling like you should be boxed into an aesthetic because aesthetics change all the time, you know, and I don't know. I know there are people who are like really like that stability of knowing what sure. they're going to get when they go to buy a specific artist record and it's easier when you're trying to build a fan base to really yeah. just sort of you know draw a line in the sand for people totally and that is something that seems unequivocally true has it been frustrating when the question of like brand identity comes up which inevitably does in these like marketing meetings or whatever which just, just must be like so like mind-numbing and just soul grinding to yeah. have a conversation about your art and just have the marketers in there it's stupid it's just like <laughs> you know i guess it's a, a necessary part of the we like I don't know of 2018 making music and stuff no, obviously like you want people to hear what you do yeah that's the thing it's like but when it comes to like a consistent brand identity I don't know I don't have like yeah. a, a compass to that aside from just being true to what I'm experiencing the moment and sharing that do you get pushback yeah I get I get people asking me like how did you explain your music or what's the aesthetic or what's the look and I'm just like oh I don't know this is where I'm at right now and yeah. generally I describe the music as soulful and then people are like well what's soulful and I'm like it's heartfelt. Um, You're right. It's 2018 and it's post Facebook and Twitter and everything. I mean, it shouldn't be your job to have to describe that to people. I know. I don't really know. You know, music's changed a lot. I don't have a lasso on what the situation is in terms of like artists and identity. And I know that when I like definitely dreamt of being a songwriter when I was a kid, there was none of this other stuff that you were going to have to figure out. Figure out how to write good songs and sing them and perform them well. And there wasn't like, and you'll have to have an Instagram and you're going to have to have a visual identity for your brand and you're going to have to know how to talk on Twitter and make great captions and be funny and and not be too offensive and be honest enough. I, like all these other things, it was just like, no, you get to sing your truth into a song. Obviously, all of that feels a lot more crass, but you know, I, I interview a lot of people and sure. I interview a lot of musicians and a lot of them like don't have any ability to talk about what they do. You're, you're, you at least are able to do that you know you, you haven't figured everything out but mm -hmm. you are in as much as any of us are able to you're able to be like a little bit ob objective about it yeah it's only so much though i'm like ooh. yeah i'm like am i gonna regret saying this when i hear it? i was talking to somebody about actually an interview i did last week and we were talking about being a bit about being like extroverted introverts and like oh yeah and what that means and why it's hard to explain and contextualize to people and like a big part of it is i'm fine talking to strangers and I'll go on TV or like be on stage mm -hmm. or something and then like I will be wiped out at the end of it that will just like suck my soul out of me totally that resonates a lot I've had multiple people send me articles on extrovert introverts yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is weird to sort of like see something and be like oh like that, that ex oh 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 my entire life like that explains a lot right without the proper vocabulary it's hard for you to really understand that about yourself mm -hmm. it's funny performance wise I remember I used to date somebody in my early 20s who it was like he had like 
he he was just starting off. I remember when he went to a show in Montreal, he played a show for like five people and he was so stoked. Like yeah. he was like literally high after the show. Um and I was amazed and I was very inspired because I was like, wow, I would have had so many different self like doubts and criticisms yeah. and like and also felt like emotionally exhausted at the end yeah, of that. Yeah, why aren't there more people here? Yeah, what you know, oh I came all this way, like yeah. drove in from New York, you know, all those things that are honest that a lot of artists go through. I mean, because, I don't know, most people who are making music or any type of art are, are generally, like, pretty sensitive people who've spent a lot of time alone cultivating certain thoughts that they need to express. And, like, that aloneness creates its own psychology. But it was inspiring to me to see that is a type of natural performer where it doesn't matter who's there. It doesn't matter how many people are there. You're, like, so excited to just be performing and be around people. Was it hard for you to play in front of people early on? Mm-hmm. It's taken me a really long time to figure it out. Taking. It's take. I'd say it's taking. It is. Yeah, it is taking. But I like just recently started to figure out the live thing and really enjoy it. But I would say it's taken me like 10 plus years. What was the secret? What did you unlock? <laughs> just like failure over okay. and over again. What are the successes? Like, the successes. is there a tr- is there like, what, what, you know, what's the internet thing? Is there one weird trick? I think just continuing to play and like show up for yourself and being like having some sort of play for yourself. Yeah, it, it show up for yourself and like show up an inner yourself. belief that you're going to figure it out. Because I was aware like, oh, I'm nervous and I don't know, I don't know how to like talk. I, early days, I would never talk on stage. I guess like maybe a, a culminating moment was that I had been offered this tour with the Gypsy Kings and I, that I did in May. But the catch was that I could only bring one person. I had to keep it to two people because they have a huge band and yeah. they, they wanted a quick setup. So I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? I always have a band. And I was like... Obviously, I want to tour the Gypsy Kings, universally beloved mm-hmm. band. So I brought a friend of mine who plays piano. And then I was like, how am I going to pull this off with just the two of us? I was like, okay, this is like... Wait, they gave you two spots and, and you spent one of them on a full-size piano? No. Or just no, the keyboard? The keyboard okay. <laughs> like, they gave me one spot, but I, I used it to invite the symphony orchestra. Yeah. <laughs> my, my timpani player. Yeah, the piano player was snuggled up in the... the <laughs> bus bunk yeah yeah, I was like I guess I gotta learn how to talk and really like tell stories and like you know give some context being sort of like thrust into it is a way to do it basically yeah I think thrust into it and I think playing for all different types of sizes in different areas I mean we toured relentlessly off my last record all around the states and then Europe and some really amazing shows and some not so amazing shows and just like kind of learning how to just Regardless, be super grateful for the experience, whatever it is, and, and play the next show. What does a Gypsy Kings audience look like? It's very... It's, it's older, all over the I place. Assume, I was right? going to say, it's really interesting from an yeah. age perspective. It's pretty multi-generational. Okay. I love touring with the Gypsy Kings. They're so, they've touched so many people all over the world, and I think it's kind of hard to nail down who their audience is. Yeah. The audience was receptive? Yeah, it was great. I and mean, people were like, oh, is your music like the Gypsy Kings? I was like... No, I don't know. It's of course not, but it, where I think we would intersect is just that it again. I, I I would say it's heartfelt. How does that even happen? Like, who figures out you're the person to call when it when they need an opener for the Gypsy Kings? The quick story is that their manager had heard my music okay. and reached out and asked me if I wanted to do it. Getting back to this idea of finding your voice, um, you went to Tibet. I went to India. You went to India. You yeah. learned to. Tibetan singings in India. Is that right? Yeah, okay. in in the town where um, most of the Tibetans are. Okay. I guess it's probably out. hard to travel in and out of Tibet itself. I don't know logistically what that involves, but I, I think imagine so. I had to travel to China recently, and just going to China was a, a nightmare. Really? So I can't even imagine trying to get into Tibet. Did you travel to India with, I mean, 
I'm trying to find a way to say this. It doesn't sound really goofy, but like, were you trying to find your voice or trying to find yourself? Was that part of the process? Because like the stories about you having done this were like, she figured out something about herself by the time she was done. It was so crazy because I was definitely not. Like the trip yeah. was planned to be like sort of my goodbye to music and my figuring out what my next stage really? was. Really? Oh yeah. Because I'd had this band in New York for years that I'd just been, you know, waitressing and, and putting everything into and it was going nowhere. I was like, okay, it's time to like, get real and figure out what my next step is so I always wanted to go to India I don't know why I was just like kind of fascinated by it musically and culturally and all the spirituality whatever so I um saved up for a year just waitressing and at Union Square Cafe. Mm. I went there. I was going to get my yoga teacher training. I dropped out of yoga school. I just ended up... You're a yoga school dropout? <laughs> I ended up getting my yoga teacher training. Yeah. But not there. And I just kind of was like, okay, I'm just going to give myself time to mess about and like, I don't know, travel. I'd never been to India. And it's a nice luxury to have. Totally. It's a really nice luxury to have. It was unfortunate timing because Eat, Pray, Love was out at the same time. <laughs> So you and every other white woman were <laughs> traveling in India that week? Yeah, I was there. The last month I was supposed to be there, basically, I was with a friend and I was visiting um, Dharamsala, which is where the Dalai Lama lives. And I was just supposed to be there for two days. It was a beautiful mountain area. And we went for a hike and I got lost. The two of us got lost, rather. And I, we both heard this singing that was so just completely otherworldly. And I was like, can we just kind of follow yeah. that? Because I'd never heard singing like that before. So few moments in your life that are like truly cinematic, but that sounds like it. To yeah. Just like literally follow a voice into the Totally. Distance. And also it was visually cinematic because we were in this very um, misty forest mm. high up in the mountains and just beautiful. And we followed and ended up at this Tibetan Conservatory for Performing Arts. And the two of us just like sat and listened to these people singing and I was like who's in charge of this and yeah. I, I went and talked to this can man. I see your manager <laughs> can I see your manager immediately the guy uh, whose name is Samten and I asked him if this was something I could learn and told him I was a singer and, and I had no expectations for what I just actually wanted to learn how to do it and he was like if you stay at least a month minimum and come every day for an hour I'll teach you and we'll learn one song I swear <laughs> to god this sounds like you're making this story I up I know it is so crazy like one would think that I am making it up but He's around, you know, people could interview him and it and that's what happened. I went every day and I learned one song and then that became that was the end of my trip and I went back three other times to study with him again. You were able to sort of hang around in the area for a, a full month to take oh, up yeah. the training? Yeah, I mean, there's so much to do there. And the following times when I would go there, I'd basically go on like a self-retreat because there's amazing yoga teachers there. Mm. So I do like two hours of yoga a day and meditate and then just go for my voice lesson. What's different about it than the kind of singing you had done prior? Well, like I said, I don't have any technical training. Yeah. So this was the first time I'd had any sort of vocal training. But I assume that this is like, you know, if you were going to take vocal training somewhere in the States with like a voice coach, it would be different than yeah. this yes. guy in India. It's startlingly high pitched. It's really like, uh, like to sing it as a singer, you go into a different part of your body physically. Is it like falsetto? Mm -hmm. It's like a really strong falsetto that yeah. I had never heard. It's considered Tibetan opera. I remember I had taken one voice lesson once um, when I was trying to, um, I'm remembering this now, trying to get my last band, like my performance better with my first band that I mentioned. I remember the teacher was like, where's your voice? Where is your voice in your body right now? And I was like, I don't know. Like I was pointing to my neck. <laughs> I was like just trying to guess the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's in my cheek. Like, I don't know. When I was singing in India and learning this technique, I could tell you exactly where my voice was. I was like, oh yeah, it's in like the top of my head. or it's So it's not like diaphragm. I mean, it would go from there, but it would okay. be like in order to... 
Yeah, like I could feel it I like see. in different parts of my body. It's almost like resonating. In yeah, a... it's pretty wild. And that's informed the singing you've done since? Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. I mean, also like just singing in their scale. It was everything was so different. Like my entire idea of music was kind of flipped on its head. So without trying to, when I came back and started writing, it was just like things were coming out that I didn't have access to before. I mean, let's get back to this idea of authenticity. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you're um you're a lady from Syracuse, New York, traveling to mm-hmm. India and all of a sudden you're taking up this yeah. ancient Tibetan opera. I know. Did you feel out of place? Definitely. I mean, like, what's my right, you know? Um, but I guess the thing was, I have so much respect for this culture. And mm. I've really tried to do and, and continue to want to, like, do work to help, like, bring Tibetan culture around and help with any way to preserve it. And I think for them, that's something that my teacher spoke to me about. It's just, especially living in exile, like, preservation of Tibetan culture is so essential to them. Like, that's a, a mission now because it's endangered as they continue to be, like, almost a diasporic culture it's not as though you embrace it to the degree that like you're putting that music down on record you've you've incorporated into what you were essentially really already doing Mm -hmm. i incorporate it in um into what i was doing yeah i'm not about to like my like do paro tibetan chant (laughs) yeah it, it just influenced the way i think about music and it continues to be something that i it's more of like a life work for me in terms of my connection to tibetan music and sort of my own personal plans for how i want to pay tribute to that this happened prior to the last record this happened before i before i started a power so this was all in 2011 i mean could you really see yourself at that point in your life just giving up music in earnest yeah i was trying to make peace with it because i was like this has brought me a lot of sadness Mm. if i was honest i like there were some really amazing moments but i'd just been working relentlessly and i was i wanted to be realistic with myself about you know, maybe I'm just not able to like, cut it. Maybe I'm not making anything that's like, it's not clearly not resonating. You paint as well, right? Mm-hmm. It's not as though if you got rid of this one, then you wouldn't have any other creative outlet. Well, my grandmother was a painter and it's something that I grew up doing and it came super naturally to me, but I didn't necessarily enjoy it. Didn't or don't? I would say don't. Yeah. Why would you continue to do it if it wasn't something? I, mean, <laughs> I don't. Okay. I mean, I it's not really like mean. it's not like you were like it's not like the you know the money was rolling in yeah, from exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. I'm making so much money as yeah. a painter. No, I don't. I I painted pretty intensely for like seven years of my life and then just stopped because I realized I wasn't happy doing it. But that's different. Quitting something that you're neither making money doing nor are happy doing is very different than quitting something that you're not making any money doing but like clearly yeah enjoy. Yeah. So the trip was supposed to be just about making peace with that and and coming up with a plan B and giving myself space to actually not work for a few months and get re-inspired and revision what my next stage of my life was going to be like. What was the plan B at that point? Did you ever settle on one? Um, I thought the plan B was, yeah, I was going to get my yoga teacher training when I got back and like kind of dig into that for a while or I did and I end up and I do teach sometimes. But I just what what happened was when I got back, I had one of those like truly inspired states. I'd never had it before. I like couldn't sleep. I was just like up all night, like writing. Anytime I'd like leave or go on the train, I'd hear something, somebody saying and get it'd be like a song. And I just wrote constantly and I couldn't not write. And I didn't have any ideas of like, oh, this is going to be the start of my new career or anything. I was like, I'm just going to make this record. I had a bunch of major labels who'd heard the first song, sorry, the second song I released, Born Whole, at that time. And were like trying to get me to sign with them and work with me to A&R the record. And I was said no to all of them because I felt like I was really making something that was pure. 
and I was aware that I might never make anything that was this pure again and I didn't want anybody else to touch it I mean obviously you know it was flowing out of you but also just like again no stakes no stakes I mean that record is like really technically messed up like it's not mixed mm. <laughs> you know like we mastered it and like CD I don't know how we did it we made like the CDs mastered it and some of the songs are not mixed professionally and had no money to make it but it's just what it sounds to me like no stakes just like honest creating do you regret not having taken anyone up on that offer or at least having sort of more professional intervention no <laughs> i think they would have ruined it not like it became a huge sensation or anything but maybe they would have ruined it for me i'd rather have this kind of pure piece of art that just exists for the sake of existing do you feel that you have to are going moving forward gonna have to keep getting to sort of a, a higher and higher level in order to continue being happy making music artistically at least artistically sure obviously it's it's important to be fulfilled but i don't know it sounds like the the brick wall that you hit initially wasn't an artistic one it was like a purely physical one there's something that a lot of people grapple with mm -hmm. when they've been doing this for a while wherein they realize like okay this is as high as it's gonna get and i either have to be happy with it or not yeah I don't know that I would be it's a tricky thing right yeah of course because it's like I don't know that I ever want to depend on on anything outside of myself for happiness and yet sure. I do it all the time yeah yeah <laughs> there's also like you know pragmatic concerns I mean you know like you were living in New York City you were living in one of the most expensive cities in the world mm -hmm. and you weren't making money from it. So again, from a very sort of like practical standpoint, maybe it wasn't something that at least made sense to like throw every waking hour into. Yeah, I mean, it would have been impossible to. I don't know. It's curious. We'll see how it all shakes out. I think artistically, I have to continue to evolve and do different things to, to make myself happy artistically. And then in terms of like the success of, of the record, I don't know that you could ever I could count on my happiness on that either way. <laughs> I guess what I'm getting at is I think you turn an interesting corner ahead of that first solo record where what was holding you back before was success. Mm. You come back from India and you've, you're like suddenly awash with ideas and you are kind of in the process of putting the record out like rejecting some success you know mm -hmm. you're rejecting major label offers you're you know you're rejecting the thing that would have been a solution early on so there's something that's sort of switched and the motivating factor is very different at that point it's interesting to hear you re-narrate that back because that's where like I just can't couldn't see outside of myself sure. but it's true and like yeah. I think maybe that's what I meant when I said I knew it was really pure like I wasn't doing it to prove anything because I'd already lost the thing I was trying to prove you know, and I was just like, I'm just trying to make this thing. I was aware that at least within my own psychology, that's something that doesn't exist that often. Something pure. Yeah. Well, hard to make something without trying to, without caring about what other people think about yeah. it. Yeah. You still do to some degree, right? Of course. Of course. Like the process for me is always when I'm in the creation process, right? I don't, I'm not thinking about what other people are thinking about yeah. it. I'm just thinking about what feels right to me and, and needing to be expressed. But um, I would totally be lying if I said I didn't care about what happens in the release process so you know it, it it seems like it seems important to you to have some sort of like not aesthetic consistency across you know from album to album but like certainly like within mm -hmm. a particular album yeah. you know you're sort of giving someone a, a sort of a fully fleshed out idea or or um sound um at what point in the process does that start to congeal? It's a really good question. Um, I think after like the first, after you kind of produce the first 
two songs and usually start with a song that produce the songs yeah i think so you're not so like so like before before you get into the studio it's not like this is going to be sort of my stripped down quiet record or this is going to be sort of a energetic soul record no because i write well it's i guess i'm 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 backpedaling because i'm really trying to think about it yeah I, i just write um whatever like i don't I don't say like I'm gonna write a sad. I'm gonna write a this. I just write, sure. show up, and, and kind of write much the same way I would meditate. You write it when when you say show up. You mean you write in the studio? Right in the studio. Write by myself. Okay. Whatever comes out. And then um, my process for actually producing the record is usually like I'll have maybe thirty thirty five songs, and then I'll go through them and be like, okay, what's the what's the, the through, through line? line? Yeah. yeah. Um, for example, and there was one song I wrote really towards the end of the the process here that I I liked a lot, but just didn't make sense. That was one that didn't make sense aesthetically for where Mm -hmm. I was going with this. Um, So that's like the initial stage of through. And sometimes I won't be able to tell. So I'll have friends who are gracious enough to like listen through all those horrible demos and be like, these are my top 10. Well, so what's what's the phrase like kill your darlings? I mean, that, that if that's the case, you must lose some pretty good ones in the process. Yeah. Um, I, I return only to a few of them and I guess part of the, part of what I want to do and have always wanted to do is like be a songwriter for other people because Mm. I write so much different type of songs, so many different types of songs and, um, I'm pretty sensitive to other people's energies. So like kind of tapping into that. And that's part of the reason I think that my songs kind of do span a lot of different genres which requires reining in anyways in, in terms of killing your darlings i've had situations where i've been able to find other uses for the songs yeah i wrote some stuff with uh peter from peter bjorn and john like mm. for my last record and actually they ended up using one of the songs that we didn't use so that's cool do you feel like the musical aesthetic of a particular record is a reflection of where you are i mean not not creatively but you know again if you put out like a quiet reflective album versus uh, you know like almost like a dancey album or Mm -hmm. or is that does that mean that you're sort of like in a happier place Mm. yeah it's definitely a reflection of my own psychology in the moment so it sounds like from that standpoint perhaps you're in a better place in the lead up to this record i think so i mean and it wasn't that i was in a terrible place in the last one but i was just in a less knowing place which it was why i named the record after because i felt i felt that i had been through a lot of a pretty hard like hard journey to making that record and yeah. cutting it out and without getting too into it. And I didn't know what was coming after. So it was sort of opening up to this idea of, of something being over, but not having the future revealed yet. There's some of that certainly in the first single, right? Of that sort of creative struggle. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, I guess it sort of like sounds like, you know, written from the standpoint of a relationship, but there's also like part of the creation process in there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and, and those like some of those questions for sure, like, bigger life pattern questions for me that I continue to ask. I mean, it seems like you're sort of more secure, certainly creatively. I mean, do you feel like you've got it a little more figured out now? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so like tentative to say that. I'm yeah. Like, I think so. Yeah. But... <laughs> you don't want to jinx it or something? <laughs> yeah. No, I do feel like I've figured out, it. you know, a, f- a few other things. I don't want to say I've figured that much out because mm-hmm. trying to stay to that beginner's mind, but also it's like, I don't know, you know, maybe... Maybe I had it more figured out in some ways in the first record, and and there are other things that I have wisened to since then. 
There you go. That was Do Payora. Her new record, Soft Power, is out now on Anti. Thanks so much to her for taking the time to do that. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. And apologies for the poor sound quality of this outro. This was recorded on iPhone at 6 in the morning in a hotel room in Japan. But I will be back in the States with good recording equipment in the very near future. If you do enjoy the show, in spite of those technical flaws, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes or Spotify or Google Podcasts or wherever you happen to get your podcasts. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rroutecast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all your R-I-Y-L information. And uh, if you have any feedback, it's rroutecast at gmail.com. And that's about all we got for this week. So stick around because we are going to be back just about this time next week with another episode of R-I-Y-L. 